uh, today, uh, Friday night. Um, I, I wasn't quite sure at first what to uh, share, but the Lord dropped something in my heart, and I've entitled tonight's message, The Right and Expectation to Prosper. The Right and Expectation to Prosper. And I, and I wrote down some verses which I'm going to read you, but I just wanted to, I wanted to share a little bit of a story with you, congregation, and um, listen, don't ever marginalize um, the off services, meaning Sunday, Wednesday are the main events, but, you know, Monday night, Friday night, they're kind of like the secondary events, and they're like maybe the less important, and I know our viewership is never usually as high on Monday night and Friday night, but I encourage you not to dismiss the secondary, so to speak, services, because sometimes the greatest revelation comes uh, in that service. And you know, one of the reasons is because uh, God is honoring the hunger of the people that are making the extra sacrifice to watch, uh, because it maybe is more of a sacrifice, because you've already watched two or three other times in the week. And, uh, and, when, you, and when you sacrifice and you take time to just uh, study his word and, and listen to your pastor speak the word. Uh, God honors that sacrifice and, and, uh, and that hunger is there. And I believe that is one of the reasons because of that hunger in the people that uh, more revelation sometimes comes. So don't ever dismiss the secondary services. Sometimes, uh, I won't say more, but sometimes, well, I believe always just as rich revelation comes on those secondary services as the main ones. And I know, for example, on Monday night it was a different flow, but I shared with you about the anointing to prosper that God has been dealing with me that, uh, that this season of Hebron, uh, and there's, there's some stuff I've got to preach to you all about Jacob. I'm telling you, it's dynamite. It's dynamite. But I, I, don't, I don't want to do it to empty seats in a camera. I want to do it when you're here. But I'm telling you, there's an, anyway, I, I can't get into that because it's for when you're here, but, but um, man, it's dynamite. I can't wait for you to hear what God's been talking to me about uh, parallels with Jacob and with some revelation truth about Jacob's life and how it applies so perfectly to us, not just me, but all of us in this season right now. I mean, it's such a, an accurate uh, timing, timed word for this season right now. And, and of course, if things are delayed longer than, than, uh, than God wants them to be, well, of course, God doesn't want this at all. But uh, so the whole thing is delayed beyond what God wants. But if the government holds us back from gathering uh, beyond what I, can, what I can abide, I might just have to preach it to you to the camera because it's, uh, I just feel like the congregation needs to know it right now because we're right in the middle of it. But I, I'm trying to hold as back as much as I can until we can maybe get some people in the room because I'd rather do it to, to live faces. But anyway, um, God's been talking to me and, and revealing from Scripture to me about Jacob and different things and about the anointing to prosper. And uh, God's been dealing with me that at this season of coming into a new season called Hebron, that there is an anointing to prosper. Uh, God wants us to prosper, but there's actually an anointing to prosper that is coming on me. Uh, it is actually on me already and uh, my wife and uh, and the, and I believe that God wants it to come on every single person in our congregation we've all ta taught prosperity heard about prosperity confessed prosperity but there's another deeper revelation about prosperity that is here and that is that God wants right for this season that we have entered into in Hebron and uh, and I'm going to share more with you as the weeks go on but God was dealing with me about that anointing to prosper. 
And, uh, and when he was dealing with me about that, I shared a little bit on Monday night. So this is Friday night, so four or five days ago, I shared on Monday night a little bit, and I even titled that message, The Anointing to Prosper. Now, most, the majority of it was about businesses laying hands, praying for the business owners in our church. But I shared a little bit at the beginning about my testimony about how God uh, dealt with me more than a year and a half ago through Brother uh, Jerry when he talked about the anointing to prosper that came on him outside of his ministry duties and outside of his paycheck, which uh, I know Dr. Dufresne had talked about, but it never really hit me the same way until Jerry said it. And an impartation came into me, and that seed of revelation went into me. And it, and it took months and months and months and months and months just, just meditating on it and praying and asking God, and Lord, is this, can I enjoy that too? And is that just for him, or can it be for me too? And, 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 and over time, God started to show me that yes, it is for me. It's actually for every one of his children if they'll, if they'll seek him for it. And then he started to narrow it down and show me uh, what area that is my anointing because Jerry's and, and Brother Randy's and Brother uh, Copeland's and Brother Dufresne's, they all had different areas outside the ministry that God used them. Brother Jesse De, uh, Duplantis has a, uh, is one of the most wealthy men in Louisiana. God has a, not just his ministry, but God has put an anointing on him to prosper in that and, and doing things that are nothing to do with ministry-related things. And so... Um, just out in the world, just things, just ideas, just inventions, just businesses, skill sets, uh, that, but, but God authored them. It wasn't just the person trying to make money or being dissatisfied with the paycheck from the ministry and trying to make money. That's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about we're not, we're not after the money. We're not after that. We're after God. But in the search and the seeking and the hunger and the pursuit of heaven, there's an anointing that comes from God to prosper. I'm telling you, and it's, it's so effective flame in my heart. And I started to share a little bit about that on Monday night. I didn't want to get into specifics. And then we went into ministering to the businesses. But I wanted, I wanted the congregation to know that uh, we are in a season where there, an anointing to prosper will come on you if you'll respect it, if you'll show honor for it and reverence for it and hunger for it. And if you'll listen to what your pastor's saying as your spiritual leader, uh, you've got your own, you've got the Holy Ghost. He's inside you, but he'll speak to you directly, but he'll also speak through me to you because that's the divine order. Of course, much he'll speak directly to you, but uh, meant, meant things, certain things he will only speak through the man that has a grace for your life or the one that's anointed to lead you. In this case, I'm your pastor and Pastor Jenny's your pastor. And so God will speak through us into your life, certain things he'll never speak to you privately about, like certain things he'll speak to me directly as Pastor Nancy speaks, uh, which he'll never speak other, through anybody else other than her because that's the divine authority. That's the divine order. And there's certain things that God would only speak ever to Pastor Nancy through Dad Hagen when he was alive, through her husband, because that was also one of her mentors, uh, her husband, Dr. Dufresne, and current day through Brother Copeland. She's told me many times, certain things God won't speak to me until I'm in his service. Uh, sometimes speaking directly through his lips to her or just speaking to her while she's in that service, showing honor for him. So there's certain things that you won't get unless I, as your pastor, talk to you about them because that's the, that's the divine order and that's the flow. And I'm telling you, uh, one of the things I really believe in my heart that is discerned and that you're going to get 
you, you probably won't get fully, you won't get fullness of it, except it come through the person assigned with the grace to your life. In other words, pay attention because some of the stuff that the Holy Ghost is trying to say to you through me, that he is also saying to me, but wanting to say through me to you is very important. And some of that impartation you can only get through the person that is over you. So pay attention. And Monday night, I started to share a little bit there about what God was dealing with me about the anointing to prosper coming on my life in a greater dimension. It's always been there, but in a greater dimension in the Hebron season. And uh, I shared a little bit, and then I went into the second part of that, which was ministering, praying for the business owners in our church. Some, it's their primary employment income. So others, it's a secondary source of income, but they still own their own business. And because I wanted them, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm challenging them, and I'm, in, I, I'm saying to them, there is an anointing to prosper in Hebron, in this year, 2020, despite what we're going through, there's an anointing to prosper for your businesses and even more businesses beyond what you've got. And for the rest of you that don't own your own business there or, or don't have another stream of income other than your job, there is an anointing for all of us in Hebron for you to prosper beyond your regular salary, your regular paycheck. That doesn't mean you have to start a business or be, own a restaurant or don't get, let your mind get in the way. In other words, you get your regular income, but there's other revenue streams that God can bring to you, that God can drop into you, that God can reveal to you that we're calling business, although it doesn't necessarily have to be opening a business with a business corporation number and, and, and having an office. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that God can use to increase you outside your regular paycheck. That's what I'm trying to say to you. Whether you're one of the people that own a business or not, maybe you work for another company, but there are still other ways that the anointing to prosper will come on you and God will give you understanding, revelation, and wisdom to know how to cause that prosperity to come to you beyond your paycheck. And that's what I'm trying to get through to all of you and that's what I was attempting. I, I hope it came across okay on Monday night. I was trying to get that over to you. But this, this, this evening when I was preparing for tonight and I didn't really know, I didn't really have it, the slate was clean, I didn't really know what direction I should go, but I heard the Holy Ghost in my heart say, I want you to continue talking where you left off on Monday night about the anointing to prosper. And so, you know, really this is the anointing to prosper part two, or, you know, I wrote down the right and expectation to prosper. I kind of put that as the sermon title, but could just as easily be the anointing to prosper part two, because that's really what it's all about. Um, and let me, before I read you some scripture, let me tell you a story. Now, you, you all, I hope, know my heart well enough by now. I'm a pretty direct person, I think. Some people tell me that... Uh, that I, I, I just, you know, like, <laughs> like Reverend Greer, I'm a bull in a china shop. I don't know if that's true or not, but I, I, I'm a pretty direct person. But in the directness uh, and in the aggression, I don't want to hurt anybody. I, 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 want, I love Jesus and I want to have gentleness. And uh, so I say these words, um, obviously I'm not going to say the names of the people, but I say these words uh, with great passion, but also with a great gentleness in my heart because I'm not against anybody. But I was driving home. Um, on Wednesday night, and uh, no, not Wednesday night, it was on Thursday, I had come in and done some work, and I was driving home on Thursday afternoon, because I had to, had an appointment uh, at, with Errol at the bank, and then I did some work, and then I was going home, and as I was driving home in mid-afternoon, um, I just, I don't know, I just felt a prompting, it was very light, um, and many times you can miss those, but I just felt a prompting, turn on Joy 1250. So, and I don't normally listen to Joy 1250 to be 
quite frank with the congregation. I know we're on there twice a week, um, but I don't really, because the people there don't feed me. They're just, they're nice people, but they just, they're not my, they're not my flow, and they don't normally have the spirit of faith about them. So I don't typically listen uh, for my own spiritual edification, although we are on there because a lot of people do listen. And, uh, and our radio broadcast helps people, praise God, and encourages and strengthens them. But I felt prompted, so I turned it on, and, uh, you know, there was a, a program that was in, in, in process, so I listened, and, you know, the gentleman is an older man, he's very sweet, just a very, <laughs> just a very sweet man, and, uh, you know, a theologian, so, you know, I listened and enjoyed what he was saying, and, uh, you know, and then, you know, the, the radio thing changed to another broadcast, and uh, another, a couple was on, and um, talk about nice people, I mean, just like, just salt of the earth. You could just tell the husband and wife, the way they were talking, they're just so sweet. They're just so gentle and so kind, and they are in love with each other. They're probably an older, I think they were an older couple, and, uh, and, they, and you just said they've been together a long time, many years, have grown up children, grandchildren, and maybe even great-grandchildren, I don't know, but they, they were sharing a little bit from their hearts with the radio audience, and I'm listening, and I believe God wanted me to listen. And I'm listening, and, and, and they're sharing about, about stories from their life. And, and, and I'm saying this gently. I'm not saying this to attack, okay? And no, you don't know who I'm talking about anyway, so I'm not saying names, so, so we're keeping it private. But God, God said something to me through listening to that, which is why I'm sharing this message with you tonight. And um, as sweet and as gentle and as loving as they were, they were sharing stories about, you know, um, without, I don't know how to word it without being too specific, but they were basically telling stories about their past, especially when they were younger in the ministry, because they're ministers, and younger pastoring, and younger, you know, in the earlier part of their marriage with small children, and, uh, and they were sharing about how they had these, all these desires for things, you know, because they were kind of poor and, you know, they worked secular jobs as well as the ministry, like many ministers do at the beginning. And, uh, you know, they couldn't afford a lot of stuff. And they had these long lists of things that they really desired, like a video camera and, and this and that and things for their home. And, 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 and they had these things and, and, and they were sharing how, you know, you kind of sometimes feel like you won't be happy until you get these things. And, and then, you know, they would scrape money together and they would buy the th one thing on the list, but then it didn't really kind of satisfy them and, and it didn't really you know, make them feel the way they thought it would make them feel. And, and so, you know, they struggled and went on with this, you know, deep desire to prosper. They didn't use that word, but that's really what they're saying, to, to, have, to have more, to have, to have more than enough. Excuse me, that was, that was my, my prayer timer there. Um, to have more than enough and to have extra things in life and to enjoy life. And they're, and they're, and they're desiring this, but, uh, but it's not happening. And so I'm listening to them, and I'm not listening with a critical heart. I'm, I'm actually listening with a heart of compassion because I felt kind of bad for them because they're telling these, um, these stories about their struggle and, and how they had to go without and, and how their children had to go without. And, and I'm waiting to kind of see where they're where they going with this. Are they going with this like from a faith perspective? But you know what? You know, we've learned now about <laughs> or, or what? And so... As I'm listening, then then one of the people, the one of the, the, the one of the the person that were talking, uh, they said uh, they said, you know, well, but we we really we really got um, freedom from these desires for all this stuff. So I'm listening. What do you mean freedom from that? And then they 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 they, they started reading a passage from Timothy, 
And I'll read it to you in a second. And, uh, and, they, and they started talking about how that scripture set them free from the desire to have nicer things and for the desire and the, the need to want to have more in life. And, uh, and as soon as they started talking that way, I knew the direction that this was going. And it is not the direction of faith or the direction that we preach. And I thought to myself, Lord, why are you having me listen to this? Because this is not to be mean, but this is, this is anti what I believe. What they're saying is against what I believe. It's, it's the poverty, typical religious spirit mentality, and they're promoting it even like that's not an old thing for, you know, people long ago. People are still preaching this stuff today and uh, this week. And I said, Lord, I don't, I don't understand. Um, why are you having me listen to this? And the Holy Ghost spoke to me. And he said, do you remember what your spiritual father said? He's talking about Dr. Dufresne. And he quoted him and he said, I spoke to your spiritual father and I said, many of my people, 97% actually, uh, of Dr. Dufresne would say this, 97% of God's people live beneath what God has provided for them. And he said, I want you to listen to this because here is an example of a wonderful, pure-hearted, sweet, godly couple. I'm not against anybody, but who, who then and now are living beneath what I have provided for them because they have developed a belief system that anything to do with increase is, is wrong or that, or that abundance is in some ways not godly or that having more than enough is in some ways displeasing or distasteful to God. And uh, he quoted what Dr. Dufresne would say, 97% of my people, God said that to doctor, uh, live beneath what I've provided for them. The Lord said, now here's an exact example of a wonderful couple that are wonderful Christians but living beneath what God has provided for them and justifying poverty and lack with the scripture and then trying to encourage other people, which is the purpose of what they were doing, is they're encouraging other people not to have a desire for more. Now there's a difference between lusting after things and there's a difference between having a desire to, to have God bless you and go on in your walk with God in, and to have more. And that's not a wrong desire. God put that desire in us. And so I, as I'm driving, I'm saying to the Lord, I said, Lord, I said, uh, I just, I'm kind of talking. It was kind of like, I didn't expect him to answer me. It was just kind of like, I'm just musing. And I said, I guess, Lord, that's just a lack of revelation. You know, really, that's just a lack of revelation from the word that, that, that these obviously very wonderful Christians, precious, precious people uh, on their way to heaven, probably, probably have done a tremendous work in the ministry for many years, but in this one area, gross mis misinterpretation of the word, and it's affected their lives from a material way in, in a tremendously negative way. Like it's, it, they, they've struggled because they've misinterpreted the Bible. And so I, I was musing and I said, Lord, yeah, that's right. Thank you for reminding me about that. 97% of Christians, born again believers, live beneath what God has provided for them, their covenant rights and an expectation to prosper. Remember, this is called the right and expectation to prosper. The covenant right and expectation to prosper. 97% of people, God told dad, live beneath what God has given them the right and the expectation to prosper. 
And if 97% of the body of Christ live beneath promise of life, let me tell you something. Many of you are included in that 97% that are living beneath what God has provided for you. Don't take that as an insult. I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to provoke you to love and to good works. I'm trying to provoke and stir your faith so that you would say, if you've got a pure heart and you're not easily offended, when doctor said that, I didn't look and say, well, bless God, I'm not one of those 97. You know what I said when I heard him say that for the first time? I closed my eyes and I said, God, am I one of those 97%? And God answered me and he said, yeah. And I didn't get offended with the messenger, the FedEx boy, because he delivered to me the, 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 the message from the sender, God. I was grateful that he had enough boldness to tell me what God was saying about me. And when I said, God, am I one of those people? And he said, yeah, you are. And you have been for a long time. And so I said, well, Lord, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be part of the 97%. I want to be because you don't want me to be. You said it in a way like corrective. 97% of my people live beneath what I provided for them. In other words, don't be the 97%. I want you to be part of the 3%. And preferably the 97% number should go down and the 3% should start going up. So eventually it would be 96 to 4 or 95 to 5. God wants more people living in what he's provided for them and not beneath what he's provided for them. And if you've got a pure heart, you don't get offended with the messenger, but you, you look at yourself and you say, Father, if I'm part of that group that is living beneath, teach me, show me, help me, help me so that I can learn how I can live and enter into what you provided for me. And it's a journey. You don't learn it in one sermon. You don't learn it even in one year. It's a journey. It's many, many, it's your own seeking after God and praying for him to drop specific instruction. It's your own studying of the word so he can start giving you revelation. It's, it's, it's dozens and dozens of coming to church services and hearing multiple messages from multiple different preachers and ministers all coming at it from a little bit of a different angle, but basically saying the same thing. And, and over time, if you're a good student, you'll start to pull that revelation and pull that revelation and pull that revelation and you'll start putting it together and God will start painting a picture for you and he'll start helping you to become one of the 3% who live in and enjoy the things that he's provided for you. Materially, financially, health-wise, protection-wise, marriage-wise, children-wise, and all the other areas of life that we face. So I was musing and I said, Lord, I, I guess it's just a lack of revelation. I mean, these people, honestly, I mean, they're such nice, the way they were talking, you could just tell they were just, just good, wholesome, wonderful Christians, wonderful pastors. And, I, and I'm not in any way trying to negative or insult or, 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 or berate them or nothing. I felt great compassion because I've been in a flow in a camp so to speak, a flow of revelation from Dad Hagen and from Dr. Dufresne and from Pastor Nancy and from, and from uh, uh, Brother uh, Keith Moore and Kenneth Copeland and Jerry Savell and Randy Greer that, that flies in the face of all of that, what they're saying. I've been fed with rich teaching and I know more than them in this area. They may know more than me and others, but I know more than them in this. I have more revelation, more rhema from the logos in this area more than they do and my life is reflecting it more than theirs obviously is. And I felt compassion and I said, well, Lord, thank God I've got revelation. I feel so sorry for this couple that don't have that revelation. Even today, after all these years, they still have bought this lie, hook, line, and sinker about poverty being godliness. And I said, I guess it's just a lack of revelation. And the word of the Lord, the spirit of God spoke to me 
when I was musing. I didn't even expect him to say anything. It was more like, like you know, I'm not, I'm not expecting him to answer, like a rhetorical kind of musing. And I just said, well, thank God I've got revelation. Lord, thank you. You told me years ago, you told doctor years ago, that 97% live beneath what you provided for them. When I asked you, you told me I was one of those 97. I've been on a journey to try to, to, try to get out of that 97. And I'm still on a journey. I haven't arrived. We, none of us arrive. But I am breaking out of the 97%. I am joining the 3%. I am becoming one of those people that is entering into, and I'm not having arrived yet, but I'm in the process of entering into what God has provided for me so that I can enjoy my life and be happy. And I don't, I'm not broke and poor and, I, and this can't do and that can't do and I can't help that person and I can't do that for that person because I can barely take care of myself. That's not right. That's not God. That's what the vast majority of Christians live under, but it's not God's highest and it's not God's best. And God spoke to my spiritual father to shake the body of Christ to get them out of the 97% and into the three. And I'm on a journey and I'm, I'm in the process of breaking out of the 97% jail. I'm a jailbird. I'm in the process of breaking out of that nonsense and entering into what God, the small, tiny group of people that, that compared to the millions in the body of Christ, the small group of people that are actually enjoying the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and adds no sorrow with it. But the, as I said, Lord, I guess it's just a lack of revelation. Thank God I've been taught. Thank God I'm on a journey. Thank God I'm breaking out of the 97% jail. The word of the Lord came to me and I heard the Holy Ghost say, it's not just a lack of revelation. It's a religious demon spirit that has clouded and, and, and masked the Bible and they're seeing what, what they believe they're seeing through a demonic power that is blocking the revelation, the true revelation of the word of God. I'm telling you, it was strong. I was surprised at how strongly he said it. He obviously said it because he wanted me to get the intensity and realize how important that is. And then I realized something. A lot of people read the Bible, study the Bible, but there's no rhema, there's no revelation, there's no life of the Spirit. God's not revealing it. So it's just a mental thing. They've got some kind of knowledge base mentally, but no revelation. So you can read some of these scriptures and misinterpret and misunderstand because it's a mental ascent, it's a mental knowledge, but there's no revelation. And that's what, they're, that's what they've lived their life under, unfortunately for them. And that's why I said, well, thank God I've got revelation. They've just had a mental knowledge knowledge of it, but it's more than that. And that's why God said, it's not just that. There's a demon spirit, a spirit, a religious spirit, he called it, that has got, that is a guise, it's a mask, it's a veneer. And, and, and they're seeing the word through the, the, that demonic influence. Are you listening to me? You can, you cannot have rhema and just have a mental knowledge base and understanding, and that's bad enough, but you can actually have a religious demon that gets on you, and the influence of that demon puts like a, a cloud in front of you, so to speak, and you actually read the Bible through the influence of a religious spirit. And that's why you sometimes hear people, there's a lady, a sweet lady came to our church, but she just, she left, she couldn't handle it. But she, but she, you know, she just had this belief that, you know, God doesn't always heal everybody. She got this, this erroneous belief that, you know, Paul's thorn was, was, was sickness and, and, you know, just my, my, my grace is made perfect in weakness and my grace is sufficient. And God just wants us to kind of put up with all this stuff because, you know, he, it's sufficient for us. And they don't see that that is not what the, what the author was saying. That's not what Paul was saying. He, God, 
God was saying to him, my grace, my power, my anointing, my force, my grace, which means force, is powerful enough. It's sufficient to deliver you from this demon from hell. It's not a thorn. It's not a sickness. The Bible says it was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him. But you could read that. Not just, you could read it through a lack of revelation from your spirit just in your mind and just have a mental understanding, but if there's a demon spirit, a religious spirit that, that influences you as you read it, it will affect, that demon will affect how you actually interpret the Bible and that you take a verse of utter power, utter glorious power, my grace is sufficient for you. Oh God, please, I'm asking you three times, remove it from me, remove it from me. And God's saying, why are you asking me? I've given you keys to bind and to loose. My power is enough for this. Use it. That's a verse of power. It's a verse of the spirit of faith. But you get a religious demon on a minister or on a Christian, and now they're reading that through the screen of a demonic influence of religion, and they'll, and they'll there interpret it. Oh, well, you know, my grace is sufficient. You're just going to have to put up with it. You know, I'm just going to help you suffer. My grace is there to help you fail. And that is not what that verse is talking about. That's just one example. And there are many and the Lord said to me in that car, strong, it's not just a lack of revelation, it's actually dark revelation. Let me say that again. The Lord said in that car to me, because I said, I guess, thank God I've got revelation, I guess they don't have it. And he said, it's not just the fact that they don't have revelation and that they're in their mind. It's actually revelation from the dark side, meaning a demon of religion, a religious spirit has camped on them and, and there's this screen and everything they see through the word is affected and influenced by that demonic power. It's revelation, all right, but it's not from the Holy Ghost. It's a demonic revelation. You say, well, how is that possible? Christians can have demons. They're not possessed by them because your spirit is belonging to the Holy Ghost. But demons can be outside you. Demons can speak to you. Demons can sit on you. Demons can be in your flesh. Demons can influence the way you think, the way you see. That's why Christians that are born again, that kill themselves, you know, they can still go to heaven. It's just a demon that's speaking to them on the outside and they're yielding to that and then they end their life. And denominations for years have said, you go to hell. And that's not the Bible. You can't find that in the Bible. Or a Robert's first son committed suicide. And God used Dad Hagen and others to minister to him and show him, oh, your son's in heaven. Just because he had a disease of the mind. That, 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 that depression and schizophrenia or whatever it was, the disease of the mind, just like a disease of the body, because you got cancer and you die, you don't go to hell because you had cancer. And you don't, just because you have a, a disease of the mind and you kill yourself, it's just a disease of the mind. God is still merciful. You still go to heaven if you're born again. So what, I, what I'm, trying to, I'm trying to say to, and I don't know, somebody needed to hear that, whoever that is, somebody needed to hear that about people that have diseases of the mind that end their life, you've been tormented by that demon spirit about that they're lost for eternity. Don't you listen to that devil. That's a liar from hell. If they were born again, even if they did kill themselves, they're with Jesus. So you comfort yourself. Praise God. Don't listen to what these false denominations and religions teach. You just take what the Bible says. But what I'm saying is that, that, that you can have just not only a lack of revelation and, and a mental thing, but you can also have a, a religious spirit that is influencing even how you read the scripture, how you interpret the scripture, and how you believe the scripture. And it is an, it's an influence from the dark side, and it's not a revelation from the Holy Ghost, it's a revelation from demons. That thing, 
That revelation that says my grace is sufficient for you like a, like a weak, spineless, my grace is sufficient for you to suffer. That came from a demon spirit. That was a demon spirit influencing a theologian. And he was interpreting that scripture, not just with his mind, but through the influence of a devil. And then he started to preach false doctrine because that is false doctrine. The same demon influenced people years ago to teach and still do today that God's will is not to heal or that you can't be baptized in the Holy Ghost or that speaking in other tongues is demonic. That's not just mental. That is a demonic spirit that has got a hold of their mind and they're interpreting scripture falsely through that demonic influence. Are you listening to me, Promise of Life Church? Because I'm, I'm talking direct to you tonight. But the anointing is here to do it, praise God. I'm trying to help you in Jesus' name. And the Lord said to me in the car, it's not just that they don't have revelation or that they're in their mind. It is that, but it's not just that. There's a demon spirit, a religious spirit that's been harassing them and giving them dark revelation. That's how he said it to me, dark revelation. Because the Holy Ghost gives you God's revelation. But demons, even if you're a Christian, can give you dark revelation in God, into even God's word. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. And I felt the Holy Ghost prompt me today, not yesterday when I was listening, but today. He reminded me, he said, you know what I said to you yesterday about that, that religious spirit, about prosperity that twists it and that 97% live beneath. And that wonderful couple obviously was part of that and are still preaching that false doctrine today. It's not just their opinion, it's false doctrine. It's wrong to try to encourage people to not want God's best. And they do this religious slimy guise of, oh, you know, it's so, you know, you shouldn't want so much because it's not holy and it's not spiritual. And, you know, you're more, you, you know, you're, you're more of a better Christian if you just have no desires and you just be poor and broke. But that's demonic. That's not even logical. It's not scriptural. It's not Old Testament or New Testament. And it's demonic. It's not just a lack of revelation. It's actually demonic revelation. And they're speaking it and they're still speaking it today. And I heard the Holy Ghost this afternoon say to me, I want you to talk to my, to my, my people. These, when he says his people, he means my congregation because you are his people. I want you to talk to my people about that. And I want you to give them scripture and verse. I want you to share that, what I've shared with you in the car, which I've already done now, but I want you to give them scripture and verse. I want you to show them and debunk that lie <laughs> because it's a lie. I want them prospered. Not just because he loves you and he wants your needs taken care of, but he needs the vision funded for the kingdom of God around the world. And you're not part of a church like Randy said before COVID-19 started. He, he, he talked about the apostolic nature of this church. He made it public. It was on the uh, live stream for everybody to hear. And about how, you know, that's why there's so many plans and, 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 and things. That's why there's so, the vision is growing in this country and that country and this thing and the aviation and, blah, 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 and church is being planned. Because we're not just a normal church. We're not just, I don't just have a pastoral office. I am a pastor. But there's an apostolic office that I stand in. And because the vision is large, because the apostolic office, Office, all the more God is going to have me hammer and intensely preach about prosperity because you can't find the greatness of the apostolic call and vision if you're broke. You can't do it. God wants you to break out of the 97% prison and he wants you to enter into the glorious freedom of the 3%. But if you listen, that's why I keep Telling people, if you got to watch who you're listening to, because if you're not strong in faith and you listen to that couple as wonderful and sweet as they are, 
Their message would have shaked your confidence if you didn't know the word. And their interpretation of the scripture, which is skewed, would have shaken your confidence about the blessing and the prosperity of God. And that's exactly what the devil wants. And if you start listening to that and yielding to that, that religious spirit will start influencing you. And because I don't have a religious spirit and because I decapitate every single one I can find, so to speak, you know what I'm saying? I go after it strong in the preaching. If you allow that religious spirit and start to stroke it and start to pet it and start to engage it, it won't be long before that religious spirit will separate you from me as your pastor, will separate you from this vision because there's no place in this church for this kind of strength and then religious devils. There is no place for it. One is going to break. One is going to have to yield. And let me give you some news. It ain't me. I ain't breaking and I ain't yielding. That's why it's so important who you listen to. Don't just listen to Christian radio because it's Christian, because it could cause you more confusion. Listen to the people that feed you. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm not against Christian radio, but it's not Joy 1250's fault that they've got a bunch of, a lot of the people on there that have no faith, don't have the spirit of faith, and oftentimes teach against what I teach. That's not their fault. That's just the people that are willing to pay the money. If they had a bunch of people that were faith people and that were willing to pay the money, well, I'd be saying, what? Listen to every program. But because I know that there's very far and few between that will feed your faith on Christian television or Christian radio, I say, be very careful who you listen to because if you're, it can shake you. That it's, it's not just, oh, well, I know better. Oh, well, I know better. You, you, first of all, that's a, a bit arrogant. You think you know better, but some of you, all I know better, and maybe you do know better, but you, you've, missed, you've, you've not taken one very important thing into account. It's not just a matter of I know better than them and they won't shake me, they won't move me, they won't influence me. It's more than that. Because if there's a demon spirit attached to their message that's influencing them and you yield to their message and listen to it wholeheartedly, that same spirit that's on them, many times it's a religious spirit or sometimes it could be a lustful spirit or whatever, that spirit that's on them will start, you'll give, give it an access, a right of permission to start oppressing you. What was the door? What was the right of permission? Because you engaged and watched wholeheartedly and started to follow that kind of teaching. And you'll open a door to the spirit that's on that preacher to get onto you. So don't give me that the, the, the statement, oh, I know better, it can't hurt me. You're, don't, you're no match for demons. You're no match for them. In your flesh, you're no match for them. If a demon shows up and you speak to it, it's no match to you. But if you are going into their territory, into their turf, and listening to preachers that are operating by demonic wisdom and not God's wisdom, and listening to that religious spirit, and you are choosing to yield to that kind of teaching, you are a fool to think that it cannot affect you and that it won't move you. Because now you're dealing with a demon, but you're not coming at it with authority and faith because you have made a mistake. You've opened a door by engaging in that false teaching. And by yielding to that teaching, now it doesn't matter how much dominion or authority that you know that you have. That has become void because you have yielded your vessel to the flow of that demonic teaching. And if you do that, you open a door for that influence to come into your life. Now, if you stop the behavior and cut that off and then speak to that demon and tell it to leave you alone, it will obey you. But that thing is so deceitful and so influencing and so subtle and so sly that, that many times you get this, this start, you start thinking these thoughts, it's influencing you because you yielded to listening to that preacher. And so you don't even, it's so subtle that you, it's so deceptive that you don't even really start to realize what's happening. 
Now, if you realized you'd speak to it and it would obey you because you have authority, but it came to begin with because you opened the door by engaging in false teaching. And if you don't repent of that quickly and rebuke that thing, it will start to deceive you and so subtle and sly where you'll start turning around and you go, you'll actually start embracing. Now your authority can't work because you've embraced its message. And then you give me the garbage excuse. Oh, I'm just changing camps. Oh, I just, I just, uh, this is not really for me anymore. No, it was, it was for you. It's just that you started listening to other teachers that are not teaching sound doctrine and the devil that's influencing them and that's on their message has, has now opened a door because you willfully, you had authority to speak to it, but it won't listen to you when you willfully, do you understand? You've got to do right action. Demons will obey if you're right when you speak to them. But if you've opened a door and then gone on their turf and engaged them, it, 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 it doesn't work quite the same way. Like when Dad, Dad Hagen went on the, on the Mormon thing and that demon came up out of the ground and, and got a hold of his son, Ken Jr., when he was young, and, and, he, and, and he, it took him time, but he, got, he cast the devil out, but he said, Lord, what happened? And the Lord said, you went on his turf. If you go on his turf, you're opening a door for him to oppress you. Don't go on their turf. If you have to go for ministry reasons or because there's no other way and you're traveling, then you speak to it and it will obey you. But don't just arbitrarily choose to go on his turf to, to take a tour. And don't just arbitrarily choose to listen to certain false teachers and people that are, they may be good Christians, but they're teaching certain parts of their, of their message as demonic and false and it's doctrine. Don't just go on their turf because while you have dominion and authority, when you yield to that, you open a door and that devil has a right to now come but it's so subtle and it's so deceitful, deceitful and it's so sly that half the time the, the Christian doesn't even really know that that thing's got on them and doesn't really know that they're being affected by it. So they can't even speak to it because they're now deceived thinking it's right and now thinking their pastor's wrong. And then when I finally get a hold of them and I go, I'm trying to shake them and saying, I'm shaking you out of your demonic stupor. Now they're so deceived by that thing, they don't want what I'm saying. They want what that spirit and that other minister's saying. And now they can't rebuke it because they've wanted it I can't rebuke it because it goes against their will. They don't want to be free. And they leave the church and they go off into bondage. But it started by them getting curious, getting a little bit, well, let me, let me, I need some more ear tickling. I need some more pizzazz. I need some more excitement. There's got to be other ministers. It's not just Pastor Craig. It's not just Pastor Nancy. Let me just start listening to other things because I just need a nice variety. You don't need no variety. You need the word of God from the person God has put in your life. And I'm not saying you can't listen to other people, but you better be careful who you listen to because there's so much false. There's so much false. There's so much false. There's so much demonic stuff on so many messages. There are churches all over going into error. Like that one I told you, that big, huge church that are now saying God is, is above his own word. And now they start to go to psychic seminars trying to give people words under the guise that, yes, it's a word of wisdom about their future, but now they refuse to use the name of Jesus. Now they just want to give people words but not use the name of Jesus as they do it. You see, it's a slippery slope when you start saying God's above his word. Now your heart may be pure in wanting to help a psychic, but when you set up a booth at a psychic, a psychic seminar and you're trying to prophesy to people and show that God's power is more real than the devil, but you refuse to use the name of Jesus, you're one step shy of getting demon-possessed. You're so close to the edge of that cliff, you don't know it. And it's because that, that they got into wrong teaching, wrong doctrine, and it's a subtle religious lying spirit that gets a hold of them. And that's why we've got to be so careful. We've got to be so careful. I don't know why I'm on this other stuff, because the message is about prosperity. 
your right to prosper, but I'm saying this is one area, but there's other areas of demonic wrong doctrine which are very dangerous, like the occult and different things like I've just said. But this area, like that sweet pastoral couple on the radio, is maybe not as overt as some of the occultic stuff that is dangerous with messages or the secret sensitive, that demon spirit that gets on those secret sensitive pastors and then the people become loose and they're having sex and they're doing this and they don't yield to God and they won't tithe and they won't serve and everything's loosey-goosey. That's a demon spirit because people submitted to that message, that demon got a hold of them. So we got a lot of different things that could be in the occult, it could be in the, in the, in the purity area that, and, 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 and getting away from right living with the secret sensitive message but it also applies and this was my main my main message it applies about prosperity because if you're not careful and you don't really know the word and you start listening and yielding to people teaching you that it's not God's will for you to prosper they're <laughs> deceived by a demon power and if you don't watch it that thing will start getting on you why because you invited it by watching them or by listening to them so curtail what you watch and what you hear, guard the gates of your eyes and your ears. It's very, very important. And so the Holy Ghost said to me, now you tell my, my people, he's talking about promise of life because that's my audience. He said, you tell them. 97% of my people live beneath what I provided for them and many of them are in that 97%. And I want them to break out of that. Now he didn't say this, but I could say this accurately. I'm also telling you, watch who you listen to. Watch who you listen to. That teaching can open a door to influence you. This is a rescue for some of you. I don't know who you are, but there are people in my congregation. I don't know who you are, and I don't know if it's about the category of prosperity or about the category of secret-sensitive uh, unrighteous living or about the category of, of demonic stuff and the occult. I don't know, and there's other categories too, but I'm, there's a rescue for some of you. I'm speaking by the Holy Ghost. Some of you, you better, you better stop who you're listening to. That demon can be so subtle and sly that you hardly know it's got on you. Be careful who you listen to. I'm not trying to control you. You do what you want, but I'm telling you what I do. And if you were smart, you'd follow my lead. I, I, I very, very limited who I listen to, who I watch. Well, that's not exciting. That's your problem. You want exciting and you're opening the door. That desire for excitement and variety will be your downfall. The reason Brother Hagen lasted so long is because he was never looking for variety and excitement. He just wanted the word and more revelation in the word. And he was cautious who he listened and who he studied after because he recognized the danger of a demonic spirit and a, a false uh, a, 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 a religious spirit and a, and a spirit of false religion and false revelation. It's dangerous, my brother and sister. Well, it won't affect me. You, you, you're no match for a religious spirit and for a lying spirit and for a seducing spirit. You're no match for it. You're a match if you go head to head and you're right. But when you yield to its influence through a minister and you willfully listen, you have opened a door and your authority won't work in that situation until you repent and you stop watching that and close the door. And you think you can beat that demon? You have no idea how powerful they are. Jesus stripped them, but unless you're going to enforce that authority, you have no idea how powerful they are. How do you think some of these ministers, like that gentleman down in Tulsa, who, who had a great church, and that demon got a hold of his mind, and he started to believe that homosexuality was right. Now he has a homosexual church in Tulsa. It's dangerous stuff, my brother and sister. He thought he could handle it too. He thought the devil couldn't touch him, but he yielded.
You're no match for a demon without the name of Jesus. And the name of Jesus don't work when you've yielded because of your attention and your learning and your watching and you're listening to the wrong source. And a lot of people get mixed up. Well, the ministry is so great. Look at all the wonderful things. Their ministry might be great in a lot of areas, like this couple's was great in a lot of areas, but they can have one, one really serious demonic doctrine, one serious error, and it taints the whole thing. It taints the whole thing because that spirit that is on them that's teaching that, they may have other good things, but it's, it's, eventually it's going to come back around to that one thing that's dangerous, that where that devil is operating through them, and it's going to start to suck you in and draw you in and bait you. So when I find people that have any kind, Jerry Savelle told me this. I won't say names, but you know, they're dealing with people that they're affiliated with who are teaching false doctrine about grace and all this kind of nonsense. And he said to me, he said, when, when they get into false doctrine, he said, I, I don't listen to them. I cut them off. I love them. I'll correct them and help them and pray with them and talk to them if they're open for it, but I won't sit and listen to them, even if what they're teaching is good, because if they're in gross error in one area, even if the sermon on that day is not that area, the spirit that is on them in the other area is still to some measure affecting all the areas. It's tainting the whole picture. And he said, I don't watch it. I, 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 I am very cautious what I let into my eyes and ears. And I know Dad Hagen was the same way. I know Dr. Frain was the same way. I know Kenneth Copeland is the same way. I know Pastor Nancy is the same way. I know Reverend Randy is very much the same way, and we need to be the same way too. I'm the same way, and some of you need to follow our lead instead of thinking that you're all that and that you're more than you are and bigger than you are. You need to stop playing, again, stop playing around with, those, with listening to the wrong people, list, listening to wrong doctrine, because there's demons involved. It's not just a lack of revelation and mental knowledge. There's oftentimes, many times, most of the time, a demon involved, and you're no match for it. So be careful what you listen to. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So I, I, he said, now you give him scripture and verse. He was, he was passionate with me. He said, you give him scripture and verse and debunk that nonsense that they're teaching. And it is nonsense what they're teaching. It's anti God's word. And yet they take the word and twist it. So have a look with me because he told me to give you scripture. First Timothy chapter six. Now watch this. Let's start in verse three. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Timothy 6, 3, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, pay attention to that word. Godliness means piety, but it really means to be spiritual, to seek God, to know God, to love God, to be godly. He is proud, any man teach otherwise, and consent not to wholesome words, even to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing, listen, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdrawal, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us, there, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich, fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition, or sin. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness." Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art called and hast and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. 
Now, so I'm reading this scripture and I'm saying, and so I started studying it because this is what they were using that what helped them overcome, what helped them, I, exact words were, what helped them defeat this dragon of a desire of wanting more, of wanting stuff, tangible, natural, material things was this verse six. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Now you see, you can take that verse and then you can say, oh yes, you see, now if I just am godly and spiritual and I'm just content, then I've got great gain. But if I want, you know, if I want other stuff, if I want gain in terms of getting more material things, then that's not necessarily godly because that's the godliness with contentment that's great gain. And especially verse five. Now this couple didn't say this, but I've heard others that have said this. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdrawal. And I've heard people used by the Copeland of verse five. He says that if you gain and you are blessed and you are prospering, which is the word gain, it means to procure, it means to get stuff, to get material increase. That's the Greek word, means to get stuff, to have blessings and prosperity. So I've heard people use First uh, Timothy 6, 5 and accuse Kenneth Copeland saying, he is saying that to gain and to prosper is godly. So therefore from such withdraw yourself. In other words, you should have nothing to do with Kenneth Copeland and they hate him. And they hate the prosperity preachers because they use this verse to say, he says that, that if, you're, if you really are spiritual and you really know God, then, then you'll prosper and you'll, and you'll, and you'll be blessed. But, but the Bible says that that's not right and you withdraw from it. But you see, these people that use these verses here are twisting the scripture and they're not looking at it in context of how the scripture was written. So I said, well, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm an honest guy. It, it, it kind of says it, you know, clearly. Now you got to teach me what this means because your word is your word. And I know what, what the Holy Ghost has taught me through others and directly. And I know that prosperity is from you. And I know that you want us blessed. But Lord, this, is, this seems a little damning, to be honest with you, when it says, you know, supposing gain is godliness from such withdrawal and godliness with contentment is what's great gain. And having food and clothing is really all that you need because you, what you brought in, you didn't bring anything and you can't take anything out. And so these rich people are foolish and they're ensnared with many hurstful lusts and the love of money. Is, I said, Lord, it seems like a bit of a damning scripture about prosperity. I said, Lord, you told me to give them scripture and verse and debunk this. Well, you know, just help me so I can, I know what I believe, but help me, show me how this scripture works with what I believe. Because we got to be with the word. And I heard the Holy Ghost just as clear as a bell say, look at verse 1. So I, I started when I read it, I started in verse three, like I did with you a minute ago. So I went up to verse one and look, look, look what it says. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. These are speaking of unsaved, slave. These are, these are servants or slaves, basically. And they are in indentured servitude to masters, because back then they had slavery. And they are indentured servitude to masters who are not born again in verse 1. And it says, even your masters, you're under the yoke, uh, count your masters worthy of your honor, even though they're sinners, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Don't act wrong because your masters will use that to blame, to blaspheme God. Now watch verse two. And they that have believing masters, in other words, you're an indentured servant, you're a slave basically, 
you know, and you, but your master, the one that, that, that owns you, your master, because they had slavery in this day, you have to understand the context. Your master is a born again believer. This is verse two now. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise. Just because you're saved and your master's saved, don't despise them because they are your brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit these things teach and exhort. And if, see, now you see, the, I heard the Holy Ghost say read verse one because if you don't read verse one and two, the whole context of the entire chapter is skewed. When you do with the, deal with theology, you've got to look at who the audience is. Who is God speaking to? If you, if you try to do end day prophecy and you're, God's not speaking, God's speaking to Israel and you try to apply that to the church or you try to apply what God says to the church, to the world, you're going to get skewed doctrine because the audience matters when in the context of theology. In end time prophecy, eschatology, it is about there is the world, there is the church, and there is Israel. And you've got to know who God's talking to in each of those categories or you'll get off. When it comes to prosperity in this verse chapter, because the people that hate prosperity use this chapter aggressively against prosperity preachers, because it seems to the casual eye as a damning, uh, as a damning attack against prosperity, but it's not. You got to know who the subject is, and you got to read it in context and with revelation from the Holy Ghost, not just your brain, and not with the religious spirit influencing you. You've got to read it by the Holy Ghost and know who the subject is. Who is the audience? The audience are slaves. The audience are people that are in indentured servitude. The audience are, is believers in, in this chapter, believers, born again believers who are working as indentured servants. They don't own their own life. They are owned as property by somebody else, just like slavery back years ago in the Southern United States. They are indentured servants. They are slaves. They are servants to a master. That is the context. And what Paul is saying, if your master's not saved, honor them. Otherwise, God will be blasphemed. If your master is saved, all the more honor them and show them, and, and show them uh, that you respect them because they're part of your brethren. Teach and exhort this to the slaves. Because many believers back then were slaves. That was their lot in life. Now, if any man teach otherwise to rise up against your masters, because some were teaching, if you study history, some were teaching the born-again slaves that they should rise up and kill their masters and break free for freedom and slaughter people. And Paul is saying, if people are teaching you other than to honor, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to these wholesome words, verse 1 and 2, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and a doctrine which is according to being spiritual or godly, that person who's kind of getting insurrection amongst the slaves is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envying, strife, railings, and evil surmisings. They are trying to stir up the, the people there and say, you don't need to listen to your master. Yeah, I know we're all born again, but let's rebel. Let's be rebellious. In fact, kill them if you can. Don't listen to them because slavery, and it is wrong. God has never been into slavery. But Paul was trying to say, you don't break out of it by being rebellious and being violent. You break out of it with God's help and with faith and with God doing a miracle for you. And he's saying, be careful. If people are trying to cause insurrection, it's going to produce envying, strife, railings, and evil surmisings. Don't listen to those people. You've got to understand the context of what 1 Timothy 6 was written in. 
He said, these men that are trying to cause this riling up are perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. Now watch now. Supposing gain is godliness from such withdrawal. The context of that phrase, gain being, supposing that gain is God, what it's in context theologically, what Paul is saying is these men that try to rise up, that try to get you to dishonor or even revolt against or even murder your, your masters, especially those that are unsaved, these men that are doing that, that is not the spirit of God. That is not the love walk. That is not the faith walk. They're trying to tell you that if you want to be spiritual, godliness, You've got to have stuff. You've got to be wealthy like your masters. This is what these people were saying. You all slaves, you're born again, but you're nothing. The only way that you're going to be special to God, the only way that you're ever going to be spiritual is if you're rich. So you've got to get rich like your master. And you're not rich like your master. But the only way that God really sees you as spiritual is if you're rich. So why don't you rise up in rebellion and kill him? That is the theological context of this verse. And it's wrong. What Paul was saying is, with that attitude of supposing that acquiring wealth like the masters equals being spiritual, and that the slaves are nothing unless they're financially rich, that supposing that, that let me quote it again, that uh, gain is godliness. From that perspective, gain is not godliness. To say that you're, you can't be loved by God or special to God or be spiritual unless you're rich like the master. That's wrong because you could be poor, you could be broke and still be spiritual because it's not necessarily about the money primarily, it's about your relationship with God. So Paul is correcting false doctrine brought upon by evil men trying to rile up the slave population. And he's trying to say, guys, listen, you, you, you can be spiritual without being as rich as your masters. And for them to tell you that only if you've got gain are you now godly, that's not right. Now you see it in context? That's what it's talking about. You can't pull that out and say that Kenneth Copeland preaches that because God wants you blessed, it's spiritual to be blessed, and then try to interpret that and apply that here because they're, they're totally different. That doesn't apply. This is talking about people that are trying to tell, trying to, trying to put down people and say, unless you are got gain like your masters and you're rich, you're not spiritual. God don't love you. God don't, God is not, you're not special to God. God doesn't have a plan for life. In other words, the only thing that you should be thinking about is the gain. And, and, and unless you've got that, you're not a really godly man. That is wrong. And that's what Paul is saying. But, you, but to say in our context, God wants us to be blessed. And when we are blessed, we are entering into the spiritual covenant and the abundance that God has for us. Therefore, to have gain in terms of his blessing and his prosperity is part of being spiritual. That in our context is completely sound, but this context is not talking about that theologically. You see how people can twist it. Now he says to the slaves, this is written to the slaves, godliness with contentment is great gain. They're telling you that you're not going to be spiritual and you don't matter to God unless you're rich like them, so rise up and kill them. But I'm telling you that's not right. You honor them. I'm telling you that even if you don't have a lot, even if you don't have a lot of natural things because you're a slave, but you are godly and you love God and you're spiritual and you're content in whatever circumstance you find yourself, even in slavery, when you're content but you know God and you're spiritual, that is great gain and that is true. That's the context of what Paul is saying here. 
to Timothy and to teach Timothy to teach the, the, the population because there were many of you, study history, there were many in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that were slaves, many of them. And he's trying to teach them how to act and how not to listen to these people around to stir them up. It's not a damning case against prosperity if you take it into the context of the audience of who it was written to. Praise God. Now remember, Paul said, another book, I've learned to be content when I abound, and I've learned to be content when I abase. What he's saying to them is, you guys are abased because you're slaves, but you can be content and know God, and that's really all that matters. That's great gain. You don't have to be wealthy in order to be a spiritual man. And somebody tells you that you only are godly if you've got gain, that's not right. You see, in that context, that's sound doctrine. As long as you're content, even when you're a base, because I've been a base and I've been content and I've abounded and been rich and I've been content. But the key is love God, put him first, be godly, be spiritual, and be content in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. And that's what we're aiming for. That's great gain. Now that's good doctrine. But obviously, Paul wasn't always abased. He found himself many times abounding because it's God's will for us to also abound. But there are times where we are abased. Now, these slaves are in a situation where unless God has a miracle for them, they're probably going to stay abased. And he's trying to let them know, okay, just remember, God's with you. Love God. Be spiritual. Be godly. And, and just be content. And you're going to find that everything's going to be okay. Now, remember, contentment does not mean that it's an acceptance of something. To say that I'm content, you're not just saying I'm accepting this as my lot in life. Contentment is talking about, if you study in the root Greek word, it actually means to raise a barrier. It means to encompass yourself about. It means protection. What it means is when you are content, there's a sense of safety, there's a sense of joy, there's a sense of peace, and like God's got you in his hand. It's not a sense of resignation or acceptance that this is my lot in life forever. That's not the original Greek word. What it is is to be content is not, well, I just accept this forever and never expect anything better. No, contentment is, Lord, I'm in this situation right now, but you're around me. You're protecting me. I feel safe. I've got joy and I've got peace because I'm godly and I know you. And that's really the most important thing. And while I accept that, I, that I'm in this scenario for the moment, that I'm in an abased scenario for a moment, but my contentment is not just accepting it as my lot in life. My contentment is I have peace and joy and a feeling of safety in your hand on me. Even in the abasement, there is peace here, but I am still using my faith to believe you for more. Contentment is not a resignation and acceptance for the rest of your life that it's your lot in life. Contentment is peace in the moment, joy in the moment, feeling protected and covered by God in the moment, but still using your faith for the better and for the more. And we know that because we've got dozens of verses that tell us that God expects us to be using our faith to increase. Hallelujah. That's what it means to be content. Paul says, when I had nothing, there was still joy and peace and safety. And I'm content with that, but I'm believing for more. That's really what it's talking about. And when I'm abounding and I'm rich, there's joy and there's peace and there's safety. And I'm believing God for the best. 
But through all of that, whether I've got little like you slaves or whether I've got a lot, the most important thing is my relationship with God. I'm still believing him for better. I'm still enjoying peace. I'm not resigned that this is for the rest of my life. It's a temporary thing. I've got joy and peace in it and through it, but I'm godly. I'm, I'm spiritual. I love God. He's number one. And that is the most important thing. And he's saying, slaves, that's the most important thing. And then he continues with this thought. Remember, he's talking to slaves. We bought nothing into the world and we can certainly take nothing out. He's trying to say, I know this is your lot in life. Now, other scriptures, if you take into context with other books written, those slaves would learn how to use their faith to get out of that scenario. But let me tell you something. You can't express every doctrine in the Bible in every chapter of the Bible. Every chapter and every verse is, is coming with a doctrine and a, and, and a revelation from one angle on the mountain. You can't have every revelation in the Bible in one chapter. That's why there are multiple books with multiple chapters, because you have to interpret Scripture with Scripture. Paul is not teaching the be-all and end-all of prosperity here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He is showing one aspect and one angle coming up the mountain to a certain audience that are, dis that are indentured servants. And he's trying to say, guys, you came in with nothing, you're going to leave with nothing. God is with you. Make sure you're spiritual. Make sure you're content. Make sure that, you're, that you've got joy and peace in this. Don't rise up and, and, and kill your masters. Don't be insurrect. Don't be dishonorable. People that say that you don't matter unless you're rich and that there's no spirituality unless you're rich, that's not good doctrine. That's what he's telling the slaves. And it's right what he's telling them. He's not saying that, with, that we should only with food and raiment be content. He's saying, he's talking to a group and he's saying, now, really what all you really need is food and raiment. But that's not saying that that's all that all of us need. He's saying to them in their context, but they which be rich fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men. And then he didn't say that money was the root of all evil. He said the love or the lust of money is the root of all evil. And while some have coveted after, remember Dad Hagen, God told Dad Hagen, I don't mind my people being rich. I don't, I mind them being covetous. Covetous is greed, it's lust, it's love, it's longing for money. God doesn't want that, but money is a tool. And if God, God for God to bless you and prosper you with a tool that you don't love the tool, you love God, but he wants to bless you with money, there's nothing wrong, there's a purity there. But the love and the covetous here in verse 10 of money is wrong, that's the root of all evil. So this is what Paul is teaching this group of slaves. He's saying, guys, you, you don't have to be rich to be spiritual. In fact, if you're content and at peace, and, 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 and you know God and you're spiritual, that's great gain. And by the way, you, you came with nothing, you're going to leave with nothing. And, and there's nothing wrong with being rich, but even these guys that are rich, they've got more to struggle with. There's more temptation they have to overcome. So don't love money and don't be covetous because it's wrong. He's talking to a group of people and he's being very specific. But hold on, hold your horses now. He, what he's sharing with this group is, is, is one one chapter, one bit of revelation from one angle to a specific group, an audience. But if, there, if those slaves could have got their hands on, not just 1 Timothy chapter 6, but also the book of Mark chapter 11 and verse 24, if those slaves could have heard what Paul said and said, okay, I'm going to be joy and peaceful and protected and spiritual and content, but I'm going to believe God for more. I'm going to believe God for a miracle to be, to get out of this, this, this prison of slavery. I'm going to believe, I'm not going to be insurrect and kill and murder and do all this crazy. I'm going to honor. I'm going to listen to them and I'm not going to lust and love after money. But, but I, but I, I didn't just read first Timothy six. I also read Mark 11, 24. Hey buddy, did you read Mark 11, 24? Because Paul's telling us good doctrine here in first Timothy chapter six, but don't forget it's it's not the only doctrine that we need to live with 
It's part of the thing. But there's another angle coming up the mountain. Hey, buddy, did you read Mark 11, 24? Whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe you have received them and you shall have them. You know what I desire? I desire to get out of slavery. Father, you said whatsoever things I desire. I believe that I receive my freedom from slavery. I know it's impossible, but that's on your side. I believe I've received it in Jesus' name and I'll have it eventually. And you see, there's another side. What if another slave comes over and goes, hey, guys, you've got First Timothy six and you've got Mark 11 but did you ever read Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 did you know that God said that he wants us to live the good life which he prearranged beforehand making paths in order for us to walk in them living the good life my God when I look around I don't see much of a good life as a slave but thank God Paul taught us in the book to Timothy that we need to be content and at peace and that we need to be spiritual and we need to be submissive. Thank God for that because that's a rescue to us. But thank God for what Paul said to the Ephesians in chapter 2 verse 10. Thank God that there's a better life ahead for me. Thank God what, the, what, what, what brother Mark penned when he walked with Jesus in 1124 when he said I can have whatsoever things I say in verse 23. And whatever I desire if I believe I, when I pray I'll have them. You see, there's multiple revelations from different books and chapters as we go up the mountain called the kingdom of God. And you can't take one out of context to a group of slaves and use that as a damning attack against prosperity. It is wrong, it is unscriptural, it is unbalanced, and it is actually demonic. My God. I know I've gone long, but I'm going to say I'm going to pick this up next week because I've got some more verses for you. I didn't get it all done, but I've got to say this last one before I close. So I'm telling you, I heard God so clear. Look at verse one. He was annoyed because people taking it out of context, who it was written to. And you know what? Those people like that couple that take this out of context and use it as a damning attack against prosperity. They don't read it in context theologically of the audience. They don't look at it from revelation knowledge. They look at it with head knowledge and with demonic influence. They also don't recognize that that's one revelation to one group, one audience going up the mountain. But notice they'll never look at the others. They won't quote you Ephesians 2.10. They'll just quote you that, you know, godliness and, 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 and gain don't go. And they'll quote you that you just, you know, you had nothing, you're going to leave with nothing and all that stuff and you know all you need to have is is godliness and contentment in your life and all of that's true but it's one aspect they won't quote you ephesians 2 10 that god says i've got a good life they won't quote you first corinthians 2 9 that says eyes and seen ears i heard the all oh, the things that i've prepared for those that love me that that indicates uh, he's got a wonderful plan he's got a wonderful thing that he's prepared not some broke down poverty life Oh, they won't quote you Mark eleven twenty three that says you can have what you say. And they certainly won't quote you Mark eleven twenty four that says, see, all these are coming up the mountain, different revelations different, coming up because we're, we're trying to have a balanced, a balanced doctrine. You don't have a balanced doctrine by pulling one out of context. You interpret scripture with scripture. So you've got to take this scripture as one revelation and then take Mark eleven twenty four as another revelation because they don't go against each other. They complement each other. You see it. Now, I've got other verses, but I'll pick it up maybe next Friday night <laughs> because we seem to have a theme for Sunday now and we seem to have a theme for Wednesday about revival. And now I'm going to maybe pick this up on, on next Friday night to keep going on this thing about prosperity. But as I was studying this and getting more and more excited, the more the Holy Ghost was revealing to me about how, what this is really saying. Then I heard the Holy Ghost in my heart say, go to, he said, go up to the top. And then he said, Keep going, go down, keep going, go down, keep going, go down in the same chapter. <laughs> and so I did. 
For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some have coveted after and were not covetous, God doesn't mind you being rich, but not covetous, not lustful, not greedy. They have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O mind of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. He said, keep going. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Keep going, son. I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickens all things and before Jesus Christ who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. Keep going, son, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Keep going, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Keep going, son, only who only hath immortality dwell in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Okay, Lord, we're done. Keep going, son. Watch verse 17. Charge them that are rich. See, he's gone back. Remember, he's still talking to slaves. He goes back now to his subject matter of money and wealth and riches and gain, which he was talking about at the beginning of the chapter. He's still talking to the same audience. Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, in other words, proud and arrogant, thinking you're better, nor to trust in uncertain riches, because you trust in God, you don't trust in money. Watch now. But in trust in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Paul is telling at the beginning of the chapter the dangers if you're rich because there's more temptations than if you're poor. There's more distractions. You've got to keep your heart right and not love after the money. And now he comes back to that same thought in verse 17 and says, and by the way, like I warned you, those that are rich, don't be arrogant and high-minded. Don't trust in the riches. Trust in God. And then he makes an amazing statement. Who gives God, gives us richly, all things, not just what we need, all things to enjoy. And I looked up the word enjoy just to make sure it wasn't a strange word or whatever and maybe means something else. And it means to have enjoyment. It means to have full measure of enjoyment. <laughs> so here's Paul warning, but then coming back later and going, by the way, God, slave, are you listening? God will give you richly all things to enjoy. Really? How am I going to get that? Trust in the living God. It says it right there. Don't trust in riches, trust in God. Have faith in God. If you have faith in God, even as a slave, God will break you out of this slave prison and he will give you richly or make you rich all the desires of your heart, not just your needs, not just food and raiment, like I said before. He'll give you all things richly, make you rich, and let you enjoy your life. Like Ephesians 2.10, living the good life which he prearranged for us to live. So even in this chapter, which these, which these, these people that hate the prosperity message use as their main sword, if you read it to who it's written, verse 1 and 2, and if you read the warning, which is good sound doctrine from Paul, and you get down to verse 17, you see that even to the slaves, Paul is saying, God wants to make you rich. God wants to give you all the desires of your heart, and he wants you to have a good, enjoyable life. How are you going to get it? Trust God. Have faith and God will break you out of the 97% prison.
Glory to God. I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost was so specific with me. He was looking at these people pulling out the middle of a chapter in, in, in gross miscontext. It hurts him. And he said, use my word and debunk that nonsense. Go to verse 1 and tell them who they're talking to. Give them Paul's warning and go to verse 17 and let them see that I still told that same audience, you can be rich and have all the desires of your heart met and enjoy your life. So don't you tell me that God isn't into our prosperity. Even to the slave, he's preaching prosperity. Woo, my God, I'm excited. And I, then I heard the final thing, driving. I heard the Holy Ghost say, if those people, the sweet, beautiful couple on the radio, if those people had just kept reading, son, if they had read down to verse 17, that I, I want them to have richly all things to enjoy, their whole life could have turned around because of faith in me. But because there's a demon spirit that is influencing their interpretation of the word, even if they read that, they had to excuse it away and, makes, and, and toss it out and make some justification why that didn't apply to them. And then the heartbreaking thing, I'm talking about the heartbreaking thing, is that couple, as they were ending their thing, they, they started saying about how after they had uh, slayed this dragon of contentment, of discontentment, because they wanted more in life, but they realized that God didn't want them to have more in life. That's false doctrine. But they said once they kind of accepted the fact and died to having anything good, three months later, a man came up to them, a man with money, and said to them, you know what? God told me to come and bless you. What do you need? And now you see, now, now the man wasn't meaning what just do you need. It's a way of saying, what do you need? I want to bless you. What do you need? And they're so religious in their approach. They looked at him and said, sir, we don't need anything. If you had asked us a while ago, would have a list as long as our arm of things that would like, but we don't need anything. And they walked away from him. God sent that man to help them, to prosper them, and they didn't receive his help because they didn't need anything because of that religious mindset, that poverty mindset that says, well, I don't really need a nice car. I can drive the beater. I don't really need a nice camera. I can use the 30-year-old thing with the little flashes that you, you, know, you don't know young people what I'm talking about, but those old cameras where you bought the flash separately. You know, I don't really need a nice dress. I can wear something I hand sewed. Of course you don't need it. He's saying all you need is clothes and food. You don't need abundance. But Paul says, God wants you, if you'll have faith in him, to give you richly all things to enjoy. Enjoyment is not need, it's enjoyment. If they had kept reading under the revelation of the Holy Ghost, they would have seen that God wants them to enjoy life and have the, ble have the desires of their heart. Mark eleven twenty four. whatsoever things you desire. Didn't say need, it said desire. But because they're seeing it through this false influence, God even sends the man to deliver them, to help them, to bless them. And they reject that and walk away with nothing. The man can't sow the seed he wants to sow. Why? Because they've got this attitude. Well, I technically don't need anything. So you know what? I won't take anything from you. And God sent that man as a rescue and as a supply and as a help to them to say, you want a video camera? I'll buy it for you. You want to do this? I'll buy that for you. Because God's blessed me and I want to be a blessing to you. But that religious mentality kills prosperity. I hope I've helped you. I've went way longer than I planned, but the anointing was on me the whole time. I got more, but I'll, I'll pick it up next Friday. I hope I've helped you. Be very careful who you listen to and who you watch. I'm not trying to control you. I'm trying to protect you.
you're no match for a devil, a deceiving, seducing spirit, a false doctrine and religious spirits. You're no match for it. And you, if you open the door, it won't listen to your authority because you, you welcomed it. So be careful you don't open the door by watching and listening. And be careful that you don't listen to people that teach against prosperity because it's God's plan to give you richly all things to enjoy. So take the gospel, take the Bible in context with its audience as one revelation and all the other chapters and books with their bits of revelation that they bring and it gives us a well-rounded, well-balanced, well-interpreted doctrine. You interpret scripture with scripture. Not all the Bible's revelation is found in one chapter. You need all the books and all the chapters and all the verses to give you all that God wants. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God wants us blessed. I don't say that in any way to insult, to demean, to hurt, or to berate that precious couple, because you know what? They've given their life for the gospel. They've sacrificed for God, and I have deep respect for people like that. But I'm, I'm not aggressive against them. I'm aggressive against false doctrine, because God wanted them to be blessed, and he even sent them somebody to hand it on a silver platter. But that religious mindset that religious false poverty mindset rejected it and has been rejecting it their whole life. And they didn't have to. They could have lived an abundant, good life, Ephesians 2.10. They could have had the desires of their heart, Mark 11.24. They could have had all things richly to enjoy, 1 Timothy 6.17. But they're robbed, not just because they don't have revelation, but because there's an, a demonic spirit that they can't see through right. It, 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 it skews the word of God. And then it deceives them into believing it's truth. And my God, when you got somebody that really believes what they believe is truth when it's really a lie, but they believe it's truth, that's deception. And many times they'll go to the grave because they feel like they're doing God a favor by fighting you because they believe it's true, but they're totally deceived, which is why you've got to have somebody outside look at you like your pastor, like your spouse, somebody you trust. And if you're getting off, they need, you need to let them look at you because you might be deceived and can't even see it yourself, but other people can see because they're not deceived and they can see the forest for the trees. They can see what's really going on. But if you're always isolated and you're alone and you don't ever, ever have anybody check up on you and keep you accountable, especially like a pastor, then all of a sudden you can get into that deception, not even know you're deceived, believe the truth is a lie, go to your grave and fight for it and attack people that don't preach your way because there's nobody else correcting you and bringing clarity and bringing the light of God's word. So it's so important that we stay humble and that we stay rightly connected. Praise God. Hallelujah. I don't know my brother and sister at Promise of Life. I hope that it helped you tonight. I hope that uh, I didn't get everything out that I wanted to get out, but I got a good chunk of it, the main chunk of it. But there's some more that I need to share with you, and I'll pick this up a week tonight, next Friday at 7.30, and we'll continue talking about the anointing to prosper and the covenant right and expectation to prosper. You have a right, and God expects you to prosper, and there is an anointing for it. And it's coming in a stronger degree in the season of Hebron. So pay attention and hunger after God and he'll give it to you. He'll show you how to, how to work with it in your life. Praise God.